Hello, friends, and welcome to the Carolyn Whitico Art Podcast, where we talk all things travel, creativity, mindset, business, and inspiration. Today, we're hammering home the idea that being practical is a prison and you don't have to be there. But first, our life update. This week, I finished that nursery mural project I had mentioned in a previous episode for a client, and it came out so good. The illustration was so cute, complete with a pond, lily pads, a turtle, and a forest. I'd say her woodland theme is going to really pop with this mural in her baby's room. It took me so many hours to paint, though, that it was the first time I honestly thought about timing how long paintings actually take me. I'm always underestimating how much time things consume, and I'm starting to think I should actually know how long a painting takes start to finish. Like, I'm the type that's, like, always late because I'm like, oh, I have 30 minutes. That's plenty of time to get ready. You know, like, I'm just, I'm just not a good time estimator. Um, so I should probably figure that out when it comes to painting. But regardless, it came out beautifully, and that's what matters. Now I'm waiting on the wallpaper mural to come in the mail so I can quality check and send it off to her. So that's very exciting. Also on the topic of custom murals, I am really loving going the wallpaper route. Not only because they look better for my art style, but because I can take on clients from anywhere. I'm in Florida and she's in Michigan, and without doing it this way, I'd have had to turn her request down. So anyways, if you're a traveler as well like me and you want to do custom large-scale work, I suggest looking into wallpaper murals. Totally worth it. Okay, now on to our topic of the day, which is all about how you should quit trying so hard to be practical. So this is going to be a little bit of a pep talk and also story time. To illuminate this point, I'm going to tell part two of the story from last episode. If you remember, we left off at the point where I wrote in my journal at the Coney Island to mentally prepare to call Jim back and tell him, yes, I wanted to buy the business. So if you're looking for the previous episode to catch up, it is called um, something about networking because I focused on networking and the importance of networking in the story. So it'll, it should be the one directly above this one. So let's jump back into the story where we were. I'm mentally preparing to call Jim back and tell him, yes, I wanted to buy the business. Now, telling him yes was the least practical decision of all time. Most regular human beings would think, wow, I would really love to do that, but I just don't have the money. Or maybe it would sound like, I wish I could, but now's not the right time since I don't have anywhere to store all the tapestry inventory since I live out of literal Airbnbs right now. (laughs) Or maybe even, I'm not sure I could handle buying another art business when I'm already running a cup of cloudy. That's what most people sound like. I'm not most people. (laughs) And you don't have to be either. Instead, I knew that I wanted to say yes, and that's what I was going to do. Period. When you ask yourself if taking advantage of an opportunity is practical, what you're really doing is just asking your brain to tell you all the negative shit that might happen if you do it. Okay, so you're saying you're open to criticism. You're inputting into your brain, is this safe and familiar? Have we done something like this before? Is there a chance it won't work out? And obviously, your brain is going to output doubt, fear, and worst case scenarios. So quit asking that question. Is this decision practical? Is the quickest way to crush your dreams? Dreams are rarely practical. They're aspirational. 
Instead, I asked, how can $75,000 come to me? That's roughly the amount I figured I'd need to buy the business and inventory. And my brain spit out 17 ways I could get the money. It did not spit out doubt and fear and stress. Well, maybe a little bit of stress, (laughs) but mostly it spit out these ways I could make a ton of cash. So when I was sitting in that Coney Island on e-course, chugging coffee and preparing to return Jim's voicemail, I wrote down the ways. And the list of ideas read exactly like this. I'm going to read it to you. And I just want to set this picture for you because my notebook is always a hot mess. If you've ever seen me post a picture or like flip through my actual notebook, it's like scribbles and like it just looks like shit. It's like not an aesthetic journal. So this list is scribbled on the side of like a crossed out to-do list and it's like it just looks so bad. (laughs) I should honestly post a picture of it but I'm going to read it to you. So it says, At first it says ways 60k comes to me and then I cross it off and put get $75,000 at the top. So number one, an SBA loan, which is a business loan. Number two, I won't need it up front. Instead, make payments to Jim. Number three, family loan. Four, gift from my grandma from granny. Five, sell 2,400 art prints sell 271 elements of art style classes, sell 1,000 prints, and win the $25,000 Kresge Fellowship, which is a fellowship from Detroit that I applied to, which they don't announce that until July anyways, but I wrote it. Eight, win the lottery. Nine, Jim gifts me the whole thing. (laughs) I was really reaching with that one. Ten, an artist grant. 11. Someone could donate it to the podcast. 12. Someone could put it in my ConvertKit tip jar. ConvertKit is my email servicing provider. 13. I could do a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter. 14. Ask my email list to donate or buy some prints to fund this purpose. 15. Every email subscriber buys three prints. 16. I paint 267 couple portrait commissions. 17, I get a business grant, which I think is kind of the same as an artist grant. So as you can see in the last few ones, I was kind of really reaching because I was running out of ways that I could just, you know, come up with $75,000. And I normally never share my journal excerpts or my journal even my journal prompts sometimes because they're extremely personal to me. So when I'm like writing in my journal, I'm really working through the shit in my brain. Like when people talk about shadow work or when they talk about like therapy, like really what I do is I write in my journal. So they're very personal to me, but I wanted to share this bit because I know it will be helpful for you in your artist business. There are tons of ways to brainstorm art income. Even if it's unlikely, it's okay to hope for it and acknowledge that it's not outside the realm of possibility here on planet Earth. So as you can see, I literally wrote win the lottery on here. (laughs) So the chances of winning the lottery, we all know, are not very high, but it is possible. Like that could literally happen to me. And that's how I could pay for the business. So I wrote these, finished my 20th cup of coffee, and went to go sit in my truck to call Jim in a quiet place. 
It's funny because I really hyped myself up for that moment, but he didn't even answer and I had to leave him a short and sweet voicemail saying yes instead. Mind you, this man is in his late 70s and does not do much texting, so good old-fashioned phone tag it is. Then I immediately started working on drumming up money from thin air. I bought a lottery ticket. I added a donation option for my email newsletter so people could send me money through that. I promoted art prints on social media, scheduled a local art show, and did some general marketing tasks. I researched how to apply for business loans. Business loans gets its own special focus here, so we're going to pause on this action-taking step. I thought that this option was the most practical, hence why it was the very first one on my list, and I tried the hardest on this option. And that's really a stretch, too, because my credit score is not looking hot. So remember in the last episode where I mentioned I had been thinking about the possibility of Jim calling me to sell me the business during the winter and the fall? Well, it was more than just passive thoughts. I was straight prepping. That fall after the festival, I really held on to his words that I'd be the first person he would call when he was ready to retire. And I knew I wanted to say yes. So I did a bit of digging and discovered this concept of business credit score. A business credit score is separate from your personal credit score. It's based on your business making timely payments and such. However, you have to manually report this with the help of companies you work with in your business to the credit bureaus so that they have it on file for banks and loaners to see. So when you go to apply for your loan, they can see your credit score. Theoretically, if I applied for a business loan using my business credit score, which I knew had a better track record than my personal, then I could get a loan. Theoretically. (laughs) So I want to say here that this was a complete failure. Don't believe everything you read on the internet (laughs) because that's kind of what I was doing. So I was like on TikTok and I follow a lot of business accounts on TikTok and I saw this advice and this is you know, theoretically true, but what I didn't know due to a simple lack of experience is that while theoretically that is true and possible, nobody really does that. And by no one does that, I don't mean it's like a secret loophole that they're like sharing with you on the internet. I mean, it just doesn't really work. I paid this credit bureau hundreds of dollars during this fall when I was thinking about Jim maybe calling me. I paid this credit bureau hundreds of dollars to allow me to submit my own trade references to get my payment history on file. However, none of my trade references, aka these companies that I regularly pay my business bills to, which would be like my email service provider, ConvertKit, I pay them monthly to send out these emails that I write to you guys and so that you get them delivered to your email and I don't have to like email every single address individually. So that's something I pay monthly, right? That's a monthly bill in my business and I pay it on time every month. So basically this credit bureau was supposed to help me list these in conjunction with my trade references online so that they'd be on file. However, none of my trade references are obligated to give my information to the credit bureau, so they wouldn't. I was calling them and asking them to send my payment history to the credit bureau as proof I'm a responsible business owner, but being persistent and polite doesn't matter when, at the end of the day, it's still extra work for them without getting paid, basically. 
So I sunk lots of money and effort and meetings with Jim and paperwork into building my business credit score just to like not build my credit score at all. (laughs) Great. But right before I totally gave up on that idea, I figured I'd try one last bank. Was it practical? No. Logical? No. But there was a bank that miraculously took a chance on me when it was time to buy my RV two years before. So I figured if a miracle is going to bless me with a loan, it'll probably be them. I had to at least try. Long story short, they didn't give me one, but before they told me no, I had to consult with their special loan officer guy. And this phone call was extremely valuable. I'm really thankful I shot my last shot before I gave up on the loan idea. Now, I really want to reiterate that because when it looks like it's not working, just try one more thing. Because I seriously was ready to give up. I had been denied by so many loan accounts at this time. Like, I was just getting denials left and right. But I shot this last shot and I'm so thankful I did. I talked with this loan officer guy for almost an hour. He was a business owner himself. He was into real estate. And he also talked with business owners all day long at his day job, screening them for business loans. Basically, he was an unending wealth of information. He was the one who broke the news to me that nobody, not even people doing $100 million a year in their businesses, got loans through business credit. They all used their personal credit. Which was an amazing nugget of info, but also meant that I was totally screwed on getting a loan. However, he suggested I try to negotiate this little tactic called seller financing. I had never heard this term, but apparently it was exactly what I was thinking when I wrote down number two on my journal list, which was I wrote, I won't need it up front, instead make payments to Jim. So that's exactly what seller financing is. And I did not know that. I didn't know seller financing was a thing that people actually do (laughs) in business. So would you look at that? He gave me some pointers on what to say to convince Jim and everything. It's funny to me that the people who give me the most life-changing advice always end up being people that I barely know. I hung up the phone after getting that rejection feeling like a million bucks because a new door had just opened in front of me. After a few phone calls, I got Jim to agree to terms and price that suited both of us. We wrote up a contract, signed it, and voila. This option, when I had wrote it down, seemed extremely far-fetched. Jim doesn't seem like the type to offer something for nothing up front. It's clearly riskier for him than it is for me. He spent a decade as an accountant, earned lots of money as an investor, and he's generally knowledgeable about finances, so it's not like he wasn't understanding the situation. He's well aware of the risks involved for both of us. And on top of it, to make it even more crazier, another person asked him for seller financing and he said no to them, but he said yes to me. Talk about an unlikely outcome. So the moral of the story is, forget what's practical and ignore your doubts. There's a reason why rappers always talk about, I don't see no stoplights. It's a state of mind. There is an open door, and just because you keep seeing closed ones doesn't mean the open one doesn't exist. You just haven't laid your eyes on it yet. If you want it, say yes first, ask how after. And be honest, 
I told him off rip I didn't have the money, but I was extremely interested and was going to get a loan. In my heart, I knew I had prepared for a loan by working on my business credit score, so I thought, tracking my finances, gathering his business financial info for the tapestry biz, and I was mentally prepared to take on the debt, and I calculated that I would be able to pay it off in a timely manner. But I communicated where I was at and what I was thinking honestly and clearly the whole time. There is no sneaking one over on anybody in business or forcing someone to do anything. So when you hear, I don't see no stoplights, it doesn't mean you force your way in, like running red lights causing car crashes. It means that even if Jim said no, someone else would sell me their booth. Something else would work out. There's always a door. So say yes, then ask how, and prepare. Clearly, I was prepping before he even extended a formal offer because I was really excited about it. Obviously, all the prepping in the world doesn't account for mistakes, misunderstandings, or the universe deciding that, you know what, let's change this. But what looks like a roadblock can actually make it even easier to achieve. So, for example, of course, I didn't get the loan. We didn't qualify for a number of reasons, but the result was I got to acquire the business on better, easier, safer terms. There is nothing logical about a 20-something-year-old artist in my first two years being full-time acquiring a stable, proven 15-year-old business. There is nothing practical about taking on $51,000 of debt and investing thousands more into tapestry inventory when I'm already heavily in debt. Let's be real, but it is possible, and I made it happen. This year is huge for my art journey. I cannot understate how big of an up this is for me. You can make big things happen for you as well. And I'm not saying it doesn't come without mental challenges. I'm definitely nervous about this because I could still fuck it up, technically. However, focusing on what could go wrong is what keeps us in this prison that I call practicality. So I'm going to go back to the main topic of this episode. It's that practicality is a prison and you don't have to be there. So when you're in practicality prison, you're afraid. You're sitting in jail. Imagine this, you're sitting in jail, but you're not truly trapped. You could walk out of the jail cell at any time, but you're afraid because you don't know what's outside of the cell. It could be anything. And that fear keeps you locked up. It is nerve wracking, but remember that anything could be a positive outcome as well. And my biggest motivator personally to get out of practicality prison when I'm starting to feel doubtful or like I'm getting too heavy into the logic of things is to imagine what it would be like if I didn't leave the jail cell. Yeah, I have food and water and a bed and I'm safe, but I have no window, no sunshine, no freedom, no success, no friends, etc. Just jail. The mystery is where the magic is. So it can be scary to take risks and make leaps in your art business, but it's always better to do it than to not and wonder what could have been. As artists, everyone is always telling us our career goals are a pipe dream, especially if you are a millennial Gen X or above. Everyone always says selling your own products is too hard, starting a business is only for the rich, the market is too saturated with creatives right now. All that is such a lie. It takes work and perseverance, but it's completely within your reach. If it is for me, it definitely is for you. 
And I have people in my life who support me emotionally and always cheer me on, which does help. Not everybody is someone telling us our career is a pipe dream. But sometimes people will say you're being being irresponsible. Sometimes people would say you should play it safe. These people usually love you and want the best for you, but they are stuck in their own prison of practicality. Usually these people haven't left the jail cell. They don't want you to leave it either because they don't know what's outside of it. They want to protect you, but if you follow their advice, you'll always be in that practical jail cell. Sometimes, though, these people are haters and they're jealous. <laughs> so, just being honest here, they're jealous because they're because you're not afraid to step outside and they are, basically. They're jealous because at the end of their life, they know they'll be in a place of regret, wondering, what if? What could have happened if I only X, Y, Z? And you won't be in that headspace. You'll know what the outcome would be because you did it. You tried it. Thankfully... I haven't actually come across many of these people, and you probably won't either. There's less haters in real life, and most of these people are just, like, random people on the internet. So, know that any criticism you get from others is usually them wanting the best for you and being concerned because they love you. Truthfully, the worst critic you have to encounter on your art journey is usually your own mind. That's why it's important to ask better questions and take action to prepare. And preparation can help you feel safer, even though it's not a fail-safe, so I suggest prepping a lot. The first time you step out of practicality prison is the hardest. After that, it gets easier because you realize that there's fresh air and freedom on the other side of that wall. So if you've never stepped out of this logical, practical zone in your life, this whole episode will sound like fucking batshit crazy to you because... When you're in that space, in that zone of practical, it does seem really outlandish to want to leave. When you have, you know, food sliding under the door every single day, you know you're getting three squares a meal. Why would you risk leaving that? It sounds like real fucking wild, but I'm telling you the first time that you step out of that, you will realize how much fresher it is on the outside, how easy it is to get your own food, and that you don't have to eat those basic ass three square meals a day. Like, I just love this metaphor because it really illuminates how I feel after quitting my day job and going to art full-time. How I feel selling all of my belongings and traveling on the road full-time. Like, these are not practical decisions, but they are so freeing and so amazing, and I just really encourage anyone to take a leap of faith on their goals and dreams, even if they seem really fucking crazy. Because I promise you, being in the prison of practicality is not worth it. It sounds safe, but it's really just a fucking bummer the whole time, okay? So, the first time you step out is going to be weird, it's going to be scary, but after that, it does get easier, and you'll see what I mean. And as artists, I think this is a really important conversation to have because Anytime you really go after your career, just in general, like other careers don't have to deal with this as much because if you're being a lawyer, nobody says that's impractical. You're not going to make money. You'll be a starving artist. Like businesses are only for the rich. Like nobody says that shit for you if you want to be a lawyer. Okay. So if you are an artist, like we need to have these conversations because people really like pound it into your head that it's a pipe dream, that it's not practical. And it's just a lie. Like So, I need you to get out of the headspace of thinking practical, 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 and really just start being more aspirational in your life because it does serve you better and you get better results this way. So, 
just throwing that out there. As for this current situation that I'm in, I no longer feel that doubt because like I said, I have come out of that prison of practicality many times before and I'm confident that I won't fuck this up because I put years of work into doing art shows already. I'm honestly almost 10 years deep in art show experience. I'm confident it'll work out because I know the festival I'm participating in. The Renaissance Festival is a banger every time. I've done my homework. I've soaked up all the business advice out there, even the shitty internet business advice. My art style is tried and true. His tapestry art products are tried and true as well. I've done the financial math. So truly from here on out, it is looking pretty practical. But even if it didn't, I would still go through it anyways. Because I say yes to what I want, even when the how is unclear. What I'm saying to you is, practical is a prison and you don't have to be there. On the other side of the jail cell is a winding path of doors and one of them is open. So let's do a quick and powerful exercise. We're going to end this on a really high and productive note. This will start to flex that muscle of asking your brain better questions and getting those problem-solving skills on lock. We want to stop asking, is this logical, and start asking, how can this work out for me? Okay, right now, get a piece of paper, get a pen, open the notes in your phone. If you're driving, don't do that. (laughs) But, okay, I want you to think about the biggest hurdle you feel in your art journey right now. So the first thing that comes to mind, the thing that's been stressing you out lately about your art journey, what is it? Whether it's finding an audience, paying your bills, maybe it's loving your art style, hating the artwork that you make, having artsy friends, feeling like you don't have a community, or whatever it is. What is your biggest art journey hurdle right now? Think about that problem. Then take out a sheet of paper and write down 15 ways it could be solved by you or by a chance situation. So you'll notice in my list that I wrote, not all of those things were really things that I directly had to do. They were just things that might just so happen to me by chance. So I want you to write those possibilities down as well because it really opens up your mind that, yes, you do have to put in the work. Yes, it is going to be hard. There are action steps that you can take, but sometimes things do just fall into your lap. And I want you to think about that because everyone has this mentality of like, oh, I'm not lucky or lucky things that happen to me or I would never win a prize or a lottery, etc. I want you to include those things on this list because they do happen to people and they could maybe happen to you. Even if it's not logical, even if it's highly unlikely, even if it's not practical, if you think about it and it's a possibility on planet earth, write it down, okay? Because you never know, it just might work out. All right, guys, let me know how that exercise works out for you. Feel free to email me at acupofcloudy at gmail.com how how you did this exercise. I want to know what you wrote down if you're willing to share. I know these things can be private. Obviously, my journal prompts always feel really private to me too, but I shared mine. If you feel comfortable sharing yours, email that over to me. I would love to read it. So that's all for today's episode. I hope you got something meaningful out of part two of this story mixed with a little mindset pep talk. I know switching my mindset has helped me, especially on the business side of things in my art journey. So I hope it does the same for you. 
If you liked this episode, please give me a good rating and review. It helps other artists find the show. You can also share this episode on socials and tag me at Carolyn Whitico with your thoughts. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time on the Carolyn Whitico Art Podcast. Bye!